Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Infected is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash infected. Chapter 35, Communication Breakdown The five remaining organisms conducted a poll of sorts. Following deeply ingrained instructions, they measured densities of thyroxine and triiodothyronine, hormones that stimulate the metabolic rate. Both hormones are produced by the thyroid gland, which is located in the neck region of all vertebrates. By measuring the densities of these chemicals in the bloodstream, the five organisms detected which of their number was closest to the neck, or, more accurately, which was closest to the brain. The triangle on the host's back, the one in the spine just below the shoulder blades, came out the winner. This new discovery stimulated additional specialized cell development from that triangle. Like a stealthy snake approaching an unknown victim, a new tendril slowly grew along the spinal column towards the brain. Once there, the tendril split into hundreds of long strands, each microscopically thin. The tendrils sought out the brain's convergence zones. These zones act like mental switching stations, providing access to information and linking that information to other relevant data. The tendrils sought out specific areas. The thalamus, the amygdala, the caudate nucleus, the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, the septum, and particular areas of the cerebral cortex. The tendrils' growth was very specific, very directed. Sentience was limited, but progressing. They had only just begun to think, to be aware of themselves. Words had floated about their environment, and they had picked up a few, but with the growth into the brain, they would learn more and learn them quickly. They had tried to stop the host, but their messages were weak. They simply didn't have enough information to communicate properly. That was changing. Soon, they would be strong enough to make him listen. Chapter 36 Wake Up, We Hungry Wake up, we hungry. Waking up on a linoleum floor was getting to be an annoying habit. His head hurt again. This time, however, he immediately identified the pain as a hangover. The kitchen lights glared in his eyes. He saw flies behind the clear plastic that sat in front of the fluorescent lights. The bugs had flown up there, looking to do whatever it is that bugs want to do with lights. Then they got cooked, burnt to a crispity, crunchity finish. His leg ached. His stomach grumbled. Loudly. The first thing in his mind, besides the bugs, was the fact that he hadn't really eaten anything in three days. Depending, of course, on how long he'd been out this time. No sunlight filtered in from the living room, so obviously it was sometime in the evening. Perry looked at his leg. The bleeding had stopped. The shirt had gone from athletic gray to a sickly dried brown, a tie-dye t-shirt suitable for Marilyn Manson. Dried blood smears coated the linoleum floor, blackish-brown against the shiny white. It looked as if a three-year-old had come in from playing in the rain, covered in puddle mud, then rolled on the floor. His leg hurt with the dull, throbbing, pulsating pain of a recent wound struggling to heal. There was no sign of the big six acting up. From those areas, he felt no itching and no pain. That didn't make Perry feel any better. There was no telling what the little bastards were up to now. Big Six? A rather unhealthy smile tickled the corners of Perry's mouth. That's not quite right. I got another one. You're not the Big Six anymore. Now you're the starting five. He wanted to find the fork, the one he'd used to pull the creature from his body. He wanted to see what the blue thing looked like when it wasn't latched onto his leg like a suckling kangaroo embedded in the pouch of its mother. His leg not only hurt like a bitch, but felt funny in a way he couldn't quite identify. What had the triangle done on the way out? Perry rolled to his stomach and struggled to rise without putting weight on his bad leg. He hopped up on his good leg and leaned on the counter, 
then scanned the floor for the fork. It had slid against the refrigerator. He took one careful hop, leaned on the other counter, then stopped to pick up the fork. I hope it hurt you, fucker, Perry said quietly as he examined his grisly trophy. The triangle looked like flaky, dried-up black seaweed wrapped around the fork in a permanent death embrace. He could barely make out the once-triangular shape, as it was now a lifeless hunk of crap without form or function. But it wasn't the body that held his rapt attention, or made his jaw hang open with astonishment and an additional serving of fear. It wasn't the body at all. The creature's tail was just as dry, light, and stiff as the body, but the very end was something totally unexpected. Hooked, bony protrusions stuck out of the end like little claws or teeth. Perry gingerly touched one, sharp as a knife. As sharp as the butcher's knife he'd used to cut into his own leg like some narcissistic cannibal. Some of the claws hooked inwards. These showed visible breaks and cracks. They must have helped hold the tail to the shin bones. Five of the claws, however, pointed outward or hooked wickedly upward toward the now-dried head. But how would that help to hold on to anything? What the hell is this? His lip curled in revulsion as their purpose became suddenly clear. The outwardly curved hooks couldn't help hold the tail in place. They could only cut and slash if the creature were pulled from its human burrow. That's why his leg had bled all over, because he dragged five of the quarter-inch, razor-sharp claws through the meat of his calf and out his shin. They were a defense mechanism, intended to hurt Perry if he tried to remove the triangle. Now that he knew what was buried in his body, the claws served as a warning. A warning warning of what would happen if he tried to remove any more. He'd been lucky with the leg. If one of those wicked claws had cut through an artery, it would have killed him. No, try it again. Perry wondered if he should try it again. Try to get the rest of them out. But brute force obviously wasn't the way to... To... Perry blinked a few times. His mind dry-fired, stayed blank as he tried to comprehend what had just happened. He'd clearly heard a voice. Was he going loopy? His mind filled with vague memories of his homespun surgery and that same voice echoing through his drunken head. Great. On top of dying, now he was developing a split personality. He was going loopy. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Insane in the membrane. I'm crazy. That's it. I am ape shit crazy. That's the only answer. You know crazy, we don't think so. That one stopped Perry cold. He managed a parched swallow and ignored an untimely rumble from his underpaid belly. The voice had said, We no think so. We, as in more than one. As in... As in the starting five. Perry was beyond speechless. He was thoughtless. I'll be a son of a bitch. Son of a bitch, the voice echoed. A voice he heard as clear as day, although his ears didn't pick up a thing. He could hear the voice in his head. No vocal characteristics or tone, just words. Son of a bitch, feed us. It was them, the starting five. They were talking in his head. Perry leaned heavily against the counter, in danger of falling to the floor as if struck by a physical blow. His rashes had turned into triangles, and now they were talking to him. Should he answer them? Hello, Perry thought. No response. He tried concentrating, focusing. Hello, he thought as hard as he could. Still no response. Feed us, we hungry. Feed you? A response slammed through his head like the roar of a Rose Bowl crowd on New Year's Day. Yes, 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 feed us, yes, we hungry. They'd answered him. Perry squinted his eyes and thought as loudly as he could. Why'd you answer me that time? He waited, but again he heard no response. His stomach grumbled loudly, the sound bordering on an internal roar. Despite the shock of hearing voices in his head, he couldn't deny the gnawing feeling in his gut. I'm pretty hungry myself. So are we, feed us, we hungry. His head lifted with final understanding. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you. You can talk into my head, but... But you can't hear my thoughts. We sent words through your nerves. Your nerves no sent words back. Are you hungry now? What escaped Perry's mouth was somewhere between a laugh and a cry and a stutter. A sick, twisted bark of despair. A laugh that may have once echoed through Andersonville, Buchenwald, or any of history's dark places where human beings give up all hope. 
Perry fought back tears, tears that welled up in response to an emotion he couldn't define. His chest felt tight. His one good leg felt weak. He leaned heavily on the kitchen counter, head hanging down, eyes staring at the floor but seeing nothing. Feed us, we hungry. The voice in his head grew louder, as did the grumbling in his stomach. Sudden, stabbing pains in his belly snapped him out of his grim reverie. He hadn't eaten properly in days. Grinding hunger combined with a slight echo of sickly pink nausea. Son of a bitch, feed us, we hungry. The voice in his head, and it felt funny to use that term in all seriousness, for it was a term reserved for comedy or bad horror novels, but now it was simply accurate. The voice gave up all attempts at sentence structure and moved towards steadily chanting, Feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us. Perry hobbled a bit to open the fridge and survey the contents. Some leftover tuna fish, a mostly empty tub of country crock, a mostly full jar of Hershey's chocolate syrup, an old, slightly gamey jar of Smucker's strawberry preserves, and, stop the presses, an unopened jar of ragu spaghetti sauce. Perry removed the jar from the fridge and explored the cupboard, looking for noodles. True to his current run of luck, he had none, only a box of rice and a half-empty bag of cost-cutter plain white rice. He also found one can of Campbell's pork and beans, half a loaf of bread, and a three-pound can of butter-flavored Crisco. What a time to realize he'd let his shopping duty slip. It was enough to get started anyway. He felt so hungry he wouldn't have turned down chocolate-covered cockroaches. He crammed two slices of bread into the toaster and another into his salivating mouth. He opened the pork and beans and took a big sniff. Yes, 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 yes. Then dumped them into a bowl and tossed them in a microwave. He finished chewing the bread and stuffed another piece into his mouth before the toast came up. He immediately put in two more slices. The microwave timer beeped insistently. Perry removed the scalding hot bowl, grabbed his toast, and hopped to the table. It was covered with blood. His blood. He decided to eat standing at the counter. He leaned over to the silverware drawer, grabbed a fork, and dug in even though the beans were still hot enough to burn his tongue. Aside from a piece of toast and some egg yolk, he'd gone days without food. His body rejoiced in the meal. The pork and beans tasted better than anything he'd ever eaten before. Better than shrimp, better than steak, better than fresh lake trout. By the time he polished off the beans and the bread, he felt much more himself, his hunger satiated for the moment, his thoughts centered on the rather unique problem at hand. He realized that the starting five had made a peep since he'd started eating. Hey, Perry said. He doubted anything could feel as surreal as talking to triangles embedded in his body, which apparently talked back to him via his own nervous system. Hey, are you there? Yes, we here. They sounded calmer, far more relaxed than when they'd complained of hunger. Why aren't you talking? He wanted to hear them talk, both because he wanted to know more about these bizarre horrors and because they'd been quiet for days. And when they'd been quiet... They had grown. Wait to eat, food comes now. That phrase sent a shiver through his chest. He immediately understood the situation. The triangles were like a, like a tapeworm or something, absorbing the food he digested. Even though he had huge triangular organisms living in his body, he found the internal vampirism even more horrifying. These critters were anchored into his muscles, tendons, and skeleton, and tapped into his bloodstream like a baby cow nursing off a mother's teat. Anger swelled up inside him, hot and tumultuous and lava red. But as the anger brewed, so did a realization. They couldn't eat unless he did, which meant they weren't feeding on him. The good news? They're not eating you from within. The bad news? They're growing inside you even faster, thanks to a highly nutritious pork and beans buffet. He felt violated, like the victim of some horrible biological rape. He grew more aware of the pain in his body. His head hurt. His leg hurt. His stomach felt a little queasy. His eyes kept closing. He wanted to crawl into bed and give up, forget about the whole thing, and let fate run its sadistic course. He made it as far as the couch, hopping carefully on his one leg before easing himself onto the welcome and waiting cushions. The couch seemed to caress his body, sucking away his stress, taking it, perhaps, under the cushions with the dirt and the loose change. Maybe he'd die in his sleep, but that didn't mean he could stop sleep from coming. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 37. Gonna need a steam cleaner for that. Dew smelled it right off. Unmistakable, unforgettable. The smell of death. Faint just a touch coming on the wind. It was still early, but he knew from hard-won experience that in a few hours, that smell would grow until the neighbors caught a whiff or two. Control, this is Phillips. Clear odor of decomposing human body coming from Gwen's house. I need to move in right now. Understood, Phillips. Move in. Support teams are in position. Dew walked up the unshoveled sidewalk, feet crunching on a combination of snow and salt crystals. Ann Arbor, Michigan, home to 40,000 college kids, many crowded into big old beat-up homes like this one. A single-family dwelling that in 1950 was a hallmark of middle-class success, housing mom and dad and a passel of kids, now held a half-dozen students, usually more, packed in two to a stinky beer-stained room. There wasn't a sound coming from the house. The university had just let out on break, the fall semester closing only two days earlier. Still, even with the break, he could hear a basketball game blasting from the house on his left and on his right. TV blaring, drunken kids singing fight songs, and screaming at the television. But the house in the middle? Nothing. He tried the handle. Locked. He peeked in a window, but it was boarded up from the inside with plywood. A quick check showed that all the windows were boarded up. Dew was tired of fucking around, just plain tired of it. He stood in front of the door, drew his forty-five reared back and gave it a solid kick. It took two more, but the door finally swung open, and the smell rolled out like Satan's breath. Dew swallowed, then stepped inside. Jesus. He wasn't a religious man, but he couldn't think of anything else to say. Phillips, control here. Are you okay? I'm pretty fucking far from okay, Dew said quietly, his microphone picking up every sound. Send in all three teams right now. Come in quiet and hot. Three civvies dead by small arms fire. Perp probably still inside and call the body wagons. We got a big haul here. In the living room alone, Dew counted three bloated bodies. Despite their greenish skin, swollen stomachs, and the flies swirling around them, he recognized that each had a gunshot wound to the head. All of them had their hands and feet tied. They had been executed probably three or four days earlier, maybe a day or two before the end of the semester. With classes over, and more than half the students heading home, the kids in this house wouldn't have been missed. Where are you, you little fucking gook? Dew knew it was a bad thing to think, a bad thing to say, 
But the kid who did this was Vietnamese, and he was right about the age of the ones Du used to kill back in the jungle. Well, this one was getting his ticket punched, and right fucking now. Four men in rackle suits and carrying P90s entered the house behind him, silent despite the bulky material. Du used hand signals, telling them to spread out through the first floor. He sent a second four-man team into the basement, and he took the final team with him upstairs. The house remained deathly quiet. He could hear the game, faintly, from both of the houses next door. The cheer to roar told him the Wolverines had just thrown down a serious dunk. Dew led the walk up the creaky stairs. Up there, somewhere, was an infected, gibbering madman. Like Brubaker. But this one had a gun. This is Cooper, the voice said in Dew's earpiece. Downstairs, one more body. Yep, gonna get his ticket punched. Dew reached the top of the stairs. He checked in each room, ready to fire instantly if he saw a weapon. Every room was messy, the casual decor of college kids. This wasn't one of the houses for the rich kids. This one was full, correction, had been full, of kids that actually worked to get through school. Even so, every room had a computer. Every computer had a neat bullet hole through the screen. The last room, of course, held the answers. And the answers were some shit Du Phillips really didn't want to see. A bloated body tied to a chair. A body missing both feet. Both hands. Half the head gone. A fucking hammer sticking out of the skull like a handle. Flies swarming, showing a real preference for the brains. And on the floor, a pitted black skeleton sitting in a giant black stain on the green carpet. Gonna need a steam cleaner for that, Du thought then instantly wondered if he was going a little bit crazy. The skeleton lay on top of a twenty-two caliber rifle. The back of the skull had a neat little hole in it. Fucking Gook had shot himself in the eye. Du quickly looked around the room. What he saw on the back wall made him shake his head in near exhaustion. These infected victims, if you could manage to call the murdering assholes that, were some seriously crazy fuckers. This is Phillips! Primary objective found. Deceased. Let's get this scene locked down tight. And as soon as we do, get Dr. Montoya over here. Squad one. Lose the rackle suits and take up positions at the entrances. Two at the front, two at the back. No one gets in unless I let them in. Squad two. Start cataloging the crime scene. Get a shitload of pictures and bring in the photo printer. Montoya's only going to be here long enough to see the scene firsthand. Then I want her out and I want pictures ready for her to take with. And get into the university's database and make me pictures of these kids when they were alive. She'll need that for comparison. Let's move, people. The locals aren't going to be happy when they hear about the body count. Another miss. He wondered if Otto and Margaret would fare any better with the other lead from Cheng's files. Couldn't be worse. Mass-murdering art student versus a seven-year-old girl with one of those strange fiber things, which itself had been removed six days ago. Hopefully, they could find something important. At least they didn't have to look at a scene like this. The SAR story wouldn't cover six bodies. People might make a sad face when they hear about a 70-year-old woman killing her son, or some random guy going nutso and whacking his family. But six dead college kids? Well, that was another matter. A mass murder like this would be on every station in the country if Dew didn't lock this shit down tight, and right now. Fortunately, even in a game of big swingers, Dew had the President of the United States of America hitting cleanup, and the President carried a damn big bat. Dew knew exactly what he needed, even before he pulled out his cell phone and dialed Murray Longworth. Chapter 38. Couch Potato Bug The throbbing of the leg brought him out of his dead man's sleep. It was a double pulse thump, just a hair off time with the rhythm of his heart. Perry wasn't medically inclined enough to know what had just happened, to know the disaster that lurked in his left leg just beneath the surface of his skin. He had no way of knowing that his Achilles tendon floated in two useless pieces, torn to shreds by the sharp hooks of the triangle's tail. What he did know was that it hurt. Hurt like a bitch. Throbbed. Thumped. Thump-thumped. He had to take something for the pain. 
He groaned as he sat up on the couch and gingerly slid his legs over the edge, resting his feet on the floor. Despite the pulsating body aches, his head felt a little better. But how much better could he feel, knowing what twisted and grew and wormed about inside his body? They were killing him. Of that there was no doubt. But why? What did they want? Where had these things come from? Perry had never heard of any parasite like this, one that somehow talked in his head, capable of intelligence. No, this was definitely something new. Maybe it was some government experiment. Maybe he was a guinea pig for some sinister plot. Possibilities began to flood his mind. He wanted some answers. Hey, hey, you fuckers. Yes, we are here. What do you want with me? There was a pause, then a scratching sound in his head. Or maybe it sounded like static. He concentrated on the sensation. It reminded him of turning a radio knob very fast so that static, music, and voices all blended together into one indiscernible mass of sound. A lumpy sound. Perry waited for their answer, wondering what they were up to. What do you mean? The voice was monotone, short, and to the point. No inflection, a steady stream of syllables that shot forth almost too fast to understand. It was nearly comical, like the voice of an alien in a cheap sci-fi flick. The ones who spout trite and overused lines like resistance is futile and you humans are inferior or other such drivel. You know damn well what I mean. Perry felt more than a little frustrated. Not only were these things anchored inside his body, but they were playing dumb to boot. Another pause. More scratching. More lumpy sound. What do you mean? Perhaps he'd been too generous when he called them intelligent. Maybe they weren't playing dumb. Maybe they were just plain stupid. I mean, what are you doing in my body? He pushed himself to stand up, using the arm of the couch to support his weight. Again the pause. The lumpy sound. We not know. Perry leaned heavily on the couch, head hanging down low, so that his blonde hair dangled in front of his face. His leg throbbed, thump-thumping off the inside of his skull and back down again. How the fuck can you not know? Pause. Lumpy sound. The triangles were full of shit. That was the only answer. They had beamed into his body or grown out of some evil mushroom or something, and they had to be here for a reason, didn't they? As he waited for their answer, he tried to listen more closely to the lumpy sound. He focused and caught occasional words, but they came so fast he couldn't recognize them. It was like trying to see individual stones on a highway shoulder while driving at 65 miles an hour. You could see them for a second and know what they were, even if you couldn't identify them. It was as if they were scanning for the right words. Scanning their limited vocabulary, perhaps. Scanning through... We not know. Through... We not know why we are here. Through his brain. They weren't just in his body. They were in his fucking brain, using him like a computer to call up data. Is that what I am to you? Am I some kind of library? Spit flew from Perry's mouth and his body shook in rage. Pause. Lumpy sound. He sat in vibrating frustration, unable to do anything or help himself in any way while the triangle searched for an answer. He screamed so loud that vocal cords ripped and snapped. What are you doing in my head? We are trying to find words and things to talk with you. A rocket shot of pain raced up from his thump-thumping ankle, bringing his thoughts back to the strange leg wound. He needed some more Tylenol. He drew a deep breath, steadied himself, and took an experimental hop toward the kitchen. The good foot hit the ground firmly, but the motion jarred the bad leg. A new, fresh round of pain flashed bright and loud, seemingly generous in sharing the shock with every part of his body. Play through the pain. It was intense, but now that he knew what to expect, he could control it. He could block it out. He could be tough. He made the eight hops to the kitchen counter, gritting his teeth so hard that his jaw muscles began to feel the burn. He focused, took a deep breath, and looked down at his muscular leg. Jeans dangling in two long denim flaps, dried blood flaking off his skin, little pieces hanging like red dandruff from his blonde leg hairs. He'd fucked up the works pretty good, but what did it matter? He'd be dead soon anyway. He grabbed the Tylenol bottle off the microwave top and shook out six pills, 
He gulped them down with a handful of tap water from the sink. He hopped back to the couch and gently sat down, grimacing against the pain. It occurred to him that he still hadn't called work. What was it, Saturday? He'd lost track of the days. He didn't even have a clue how long he'd slept. A thought struck him. Where the hell had he contracted this triangle disease? As far as he knew, he might have gotten it at work. Obviously, the triangle started small. Maybe they were airborne, or maybe they were delivered via an insect bite, like malaria. Or maybe he was right about being a guinea pig, and maybe work was in on it. Work, and perhaps even the apartment building. That sounded logical as well. Maybe everyone in the apartment building was stuck inside right now, contemplating the newfound guests growing in their bodies. The things must have come from somewhere. They'd landed on him, or an insect, or even something artificial had delivered them. Did that mean these things were custom-built for people? They were getting along a little too well with his body for this to be some fluke of nature. His body hadn't rejected him, that was for fucking sure. No, he doubted this could be accidental. Either more people in town or in the building had the same disease, or someone had singled him out as an experimental host. Perry's mind swam in a tar pit of possibilities. He tried to put the thoughts away, because he simply didn't want to think about it anymore, didn't want to think about how fucked he was. The pain in his leg eased a little as the Tylenol took effect. He felt cold. He hopped to his room and threw on a white University of Michigan sweatshirt then hopped back to the living room and sat on the couch. He wasn't sleepy, wasn't hungry. He needed a diversion to keep his thoughts away from the triangles. He reached for the remote control and clicked on the flat panel TV. The preview channel said the time was 11.23 a.m. He flicked through the channels, not finding much. Infomercials, Scooby-Doo, basketball, Wolverines at Penn State. If it had been football, maybe, but he couldn't focus on basketball right now. Seinfeld reruns. Soon the NFL pregame shows would be on for the Saturday game, and he would be riveted to the TV. That would let him forget. And after the pregame, the games. But for now, a television wasteland. He was about to give up when he hit the jackpot. A Columbo movie. He'd seen this one, but it didn't matter. Columbo, with his old basset hound in tow, shuffled his way about yet another mansion, rumpled tan trench coat hanging from him like he'd just hopped off a freight train full of hobos. He was trying to climb down from a balcony and was stuck in a nearby tree, which the killer must have used either to get into the bedroom or get out of it. The basset hound waited patiently at the base of the tree. Columbo awkwardly fell to the ground. As he struggled to rise, the mandatory rich person walked up and accosted him with the ever-so-familiar, Have you taken leave of your senses, Mr. Columbo? Who is there? Perry almost jumped out of his seat when the triangle spoke. What? He said, looking around the room, eyes darting to every corner. Who is there? Dread filled Perry. Was someone here to finish the experiment? Perhaps kill him and dissect him or maybe take him away? Did the triangles know something that he didn't? What are you talking about? I don't see anyone. There's no one here. New voice, new voice, new voice. The TV droned with Columbo's nasally growl. Sorry to disturb you, ma'am. Peter Falk said to the mandatory rich person, but I was wondering if I could ask you a few more questions. Columbo. They heard the TV. A laugh escaped Perry's lips, which surprised him. The Triangles didn't know what television was. Or maybe. Maybe they didn't know what reality was. More accurately, they didn't know the difference between fantasy and reality. They couldn't see a thing, but they could hear. They didn't know the difference between a real person talking and sound from the television. That's Columbo, Perry said quietly, trying to figure out how to handle this new plot twist. He didn't know what good this information would do him. It wasn't like it could save his condemned ass, but something in the back of his head told him not to let on about the TV. Perry decided to trust his instincts and turn the set off. Who is Columbo who? He's a cop, a police officer. Perry felt the now-familiar pause and the burst of lumpy sound, which grew so loud he almost winced. The triangles worked his brain like a big thesaurus, hunting for meaning. In a way, the searching was worse than the pain, worse than seeing the things under his skin, even worse than the hooks wrapped around his bones or the creatures sucking nutrients from his blood. 
They scanned his brain, using him like wetware, like their own personal computer. The concept hit him with force. If they could scan through his brain, through the chemical storage processes that lock memories down, then this was some seriously advanced shit. Perhaps they didn't know what TV was, but something was going on here that was beyond the cutting edge of science, and No cop, no cop, no cop, no cop, not tell him we're here, no, 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 no. The triangle's burst of words interrupted Perry's thoughts and filled his soul with a wave of fear that ripped through him like a blast of November wind. His adrenaline surged against some perceived threat, even as he realized it wasn't his fear, but theirs, the triangle's fear. Something about the rumpled Columbos had them scared shitless. No, 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 coming to get us. Their fear felt corrosive, almost tangible, a jet black snake squirming and writhing under the grip of some heartless bird of prey. Take it easy. Perry winced at the bizarre feeling of alien emotions coursing through his own body and mind. It's okay, he's gone. I got rid of him. He thought it might be easier to make the fear go away if he told them about the TV, told them there was no police officer in the apartment, but his instincts told him to keep that trump card. He might find some use for it later. Coming to get us. Cop is gone. Cop is gone. No, no, no. He's gone. Now take a chill pill and shut the fuck up. Perry's hands involuntarily went to his head, trying to hold in his brains against the pounding tumult of shouts and anxiety slashing through his skull. Contagious fear. Perry felt the cold fingers of panic wrapping around his chest. He's fucking gone. Now relax and stop screaming in my head. Coming to get us. They sounded different. And not just because of the fear. They actually had some tone to their words now. Something deep. And a certain slowness he found vaguely familiar. He's coming to get us. He felt their fear. He's coming to get us. It was nothing like the emotionless monotone he'd first heard. They'd increased their intensity, or maybe just lost their restraint. No tell we're here! I won't tell, okay? Perry lowered his voice, tried to relax himself in hopes that it would, in turn, relax them. It's okay. He's gone now. You just have to take it easy. The claustrophobic fear instantly vanished, as suddenly as if he'd been in a dark room, and someone had flicked on the lights. Thanks, thanks, thanks! Why the hell do the police scare you so bad? Coming to get us! Why were they afraid of the police? That made no sense. Perry supposed this might mean he wasn't alone, might mean that someone knew about the triangles and wanted to destroy them. But why hadn't he heard about it? Surely the police couldn't keep a secret like this from the press. And how could the triangles know of hostile police in the first place? They'd grown from nothing, all the while in his apartment. They had no contact with the outside world. Could they have some pre-programmed memory of potential threats? They didn't recognize the words cop or police right away. They'd had to scan, and scan hard to find the meaning that frightened them so badly. But they found something in Perry's unabridged brain dictionary. Something that they knew. At least, they thought they knew. What do you mean, he's coming to get you? Does someone know you're here? Perry felt the triangle search his mind, his memories, for the right words. The more they searched, the more familiar he became with the feeling like an eye slowly adjusting to the dim light of a dark room. Men are looking for us. Kill us, yikes. Yikes, yikes. Yikes? The word stuck in Perry's head. Yikes. They used the word yikes. And they had shouted it along with kill. Why were they suddenly talking so funny? The monotone was gone. There was actual inflection in the words. The speech had taken on a slower, dreamier quality to the point where the starting five talked almost with a drawl. But the important thing wasn't the new speech. It was their paranoid fear of the cops. Was this some kind of instinctive memory? How could it be they didn't know why they were in his body, but they knew enough to fear the police? Were they just plain lying to him? What did they have to gain by being honest about anything? But he had felt their fear of the police. Or maybe, maybe it wasn't the police at all. Maybe it was men in uniforms. Perry realized that when he thought of cops or police, his initial mental image was that of a Michigan State trooper. Those guys were always fairly big, with immaculate uniforms, robotic politeness, and a very prominent gun. That was probably the picture the triangles read because it was the first thing he thought of when he heard the word cop. And his mental image of the state troopers with their perfect uniforms and attitudes and guns wasn't really that of a cop as much as it was that of a of a soldier. Were the triangles afraid of soldiers? 
two possibilities flashed through Perry's mind. Either the Triangles knew what soldiers were by experience or instinct, or they had a broader knowledge of the world around them than they let on. Somehow they knew things that Perry didn't. A brief flicker of hope flared up in his chest. The Triangles feared soldiers. Was there some group that knew of the Triangles? And if so, did it mean that Perry wasn't the only one suffering through this horror? Why do you think they're coming to get you? Pause. Lumpy sound. They want to kill us. Kill, kill, kill. How do you know that? How can you when you don't even know where you come from? A double pause. Talking to friends. Friends. Were there other triangles? Were there other people infested with these things? Maybe he wasn't the only one. Maybe this was bigger than just him. What do these friends say? Only a short pause this time. Hungry, feed us. Your friends are hungry too? Hungry, feed us, feed us, feed us. Oh, you're hungry. Feed, 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 feed. Forget about the food. Tell me about your friends. Where are they? Feed now. The command sounded like a cannon exploding in his head. His eyes shut tight. His teeth ground in reaction to the pain. Feed now. Perry let out a small, choked groan. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't grip what he needed to do. Feed now, 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 now. Shut the fuck up. Perry shouted as loudly as he could. His voice a deep, guttural blast of pain and anger. We'll eat. We'll eat. Just stop screaming in my head. Okay, feed us now. Okay, feed us now, now, now. Like the return stroke of a bowstring after the release of an arrow, his mind snapped back to normal. A single tear trailed down his cheek. Their shouting had been so intense he'd been unable to move, almost unable to speak. Now, now, now. Perry jumped up as he heard their intensity start to creep higher. He'd hopped the eight hops to the kitchen before he gave it a second thought, his body acting from fear of that pain. He was snapping to attention like a soldier under orders, not thinking, only doing as he was told, like some good little Nazi carrying out the master plan. Jawohl, Herr Kommandant. I'll kill the Jews and the Gypsies and the Czechs because I have no mind of my own, and it's okay because someone told me to do it. He was a robot, a remote-controlled servant. It humiliated him somehow dug away at his pride as a man. A man, after all, was in charge of his own destiny, not at the whim of some slave driver, some controller. He tried to console his damaged pride by telling himself he was very hungry and would have eaten anyway. It wasn't because the triangles had told him to. But that was bullshit. Right now, he felt like a puppet on a string, doing a funky little dance each time the starting five tweaked at one of his nerves. Worse than a puppet, He felt like he was ten years old again, jumping with fear every time his father spoke. Still had the ragu. He fished it out of the fridge and pulled a box of rice from the cupboard. He was almost out of food and would have to shop sometime soon. Wouldn't that be a hoot? The condemned man, dying of some freaky parasite, pushing a cart at Kroger's and picking out his last meal he'd cook for himself. Now that's a liberal death row. A flash of cooking inspiration came to him as he put the rice back and grabbed the half-full bag of cost-cutter rice. No noodles, but the ragu looked just too darn good to pass up. Fishing a measuring cup out of the cupboard, he set a pot to boil. Now, now, now! The words drifted menacingly through his head. Just hold your horses. Dinner's going to be ready in about 20 minutes. Now, now, now! It's not ready yet! Perry urged, his voice pleading. He poured the ragu into a mismatched pot and set it to simmer. Like I said, you'll just have to wait for a few minutes. The lumpy noise probed at his brain. What is a minute, son of a bitch? A minute, you know, 60 seconds. It seemed so obvious that it was difficult to explain. It was odd the triangles wouldn't know the concept of time. Do you know, uh, do you know what a second is? What time is? Second, no time, yes. That reply came back fast, with only a touch of lumpy noise. They knew what time was. He'd have to illustrate a second. He looked at the clock on the stove. If they could see that, it would be easy to explain. You can't. A chill washed over him, cutting off the question. Suddenly, he wasn't sure if he wanted an answer. You can't see. Can you see through my eyes? He hadn't given much thought to exactly what these bastards could do. They could read his mind, in the literal sense. So could they pick up and read optical impulses from his brain? Pick them off in midstream? No, we cannot see. The answer was a relief. But a short-lived relief. Cut in half by the rest of the answer. Not yet. Not yet. They were still growing. 
Maybe they were simply going to take over his mind, pushing Perry's own consciousness out of the way one step at a time. Maybe they were slowly choking out his brain, just as a gangly, fibrous weed in a garden methodically robs sustenance from a rose. The rose may be beautiful, glowing, and soft, but the weed, the weed is the survivor, the one that grows in harsh soil, rocks, bad weather, low light. The one that faces impossible conditions and not only survives, but flourishes. Perry was suddenly quite sure he knew what was happening. The triangles were growing into him, taking over his body and his mind, keeping the shell, leaving the outside world none the wiser. Invasion of the body snatchers. It was the typical Hollywood script. And why not? It made sense. Why send armies and conquer the earth when you could slowly replace the human race? More efficient. More economic. Neater. Tidier. No messy bodies to clean up. Better even than the infamous neutron bomb that killed all the people and left the building standing. Soon they tap into his eyes. What next? His nose? Hell, maybe they were already smelling the rice simmering on the stove. Or maybe his mouth. They could speak to him through his own voice. Then what? His muscles? His very motions? Just how efficient were the little bastards? And how long were they going to be little? Maybe they weren't separate at all. Maybe they were just different parts with different missions. Living jigsaw puzzle pieces, all planning on connecting in the swinging singles triangle bar known as Perry's Place. A warm flash of fuzzy noise interrupted his doom and gloom thoughts. How long is a second? How long is a minute? How long? Perry desperately wanted to avoid that mental screaming. That insistent chainsaw of triangle demand grinding through his thoughts. Okay, let's figure this out. He talked quickly, hoping to prevent any agitation. See, a minute is 60 seconds, and a second is a very short piece of time. The fuzzy noise seemed stuck in a high-pitched buzz. As he talked, they searched the database to keep up with the meanings of his words. And a second is like this long. Here, I'll count to five using seconds. Now pay attention to how long each count is, and that's a second. One, two, three, four, five... A flash of childhood memory reared to the surface. The jazzy counting song from the show The Electric Company. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That was five seconds, get it? The high-pitched searching grew louder, followed only by the briefest buzz of low pitch. Second is short, minute is 60 seconds, hour is 60 minutes, correct? All inflection left the starting five's voice. He could only assume that the word correct had been part of a question and not a statement as there wasn't even the smallest lilt in the words that echoed through his head. Whatever the reason for their brief digression into spaced outland, they had returned to their emotionless monotone. Correct. He'd never mentioned the concept of an hour. They had pulled it out of his brain, probably based on its association with the minute and the second. Their ability to scan his brain grew faster and faster. It hit him, quite suddenly, with the shuddering force of truth and revelation that people were just complicated machines. They were no different from computers. The brain was simply a control center and a storage device. When you needed to remember something, the brain sent some kind of signal to recall stored data, exactly like telling a program to open a file. The command was sent, and another part of the computer looked for data with code that matched the command, found it, and sent that information to the processor, where it was read and displayed on the screen. 24 hours in a day? The brain was exactly the same thing. Memories were stored in there, somehow. Some chemical process tied up in the cerebrum or cerebellum or what have you. With the right technology, you could read that stored data as easily as you could read the stored data in a hard drive or the stored data on the pages of a book. They were all just mediums for keeping track of simple bits of information that formed something more complex. Seven days in a week. But just like matter, compounds, then elements, then atoms, then protons and electrons, Everything could be broken down into smaller and smaller parts. It was looking more and more like the triangles were constructed to read those little parts, to be able to fetch Perry's stored memories off the hard drive he'd been carrying since before his birth. His brain. Four weeks in a month. The sheer complexity of the triangles' ability was daunting, and they learned quickly. Their search time seemed to grow progressively faster. They were also learning not only to pick up the single memory or word he had spoken, but associated words and memories as well. So far, it looked like they could only tap into his long-term memory. Time concepts, vocabulary, 
words with images attached in order to define meanings. Twelve months in a year. The creatures had the ability to read his brain like a hard drive, but they had no initial concept of simple things like time or the technology of television. Twelve months in a year. Or that voices could be projected and not real. Ten years in a decade. Something was missing from this mystery. Or perhaps something was just a bit out of place. He still didn't know what the triangles were, where they came from, or how long he had until they took over his body. But maybe he could stop them. Maybe. If he got help. The mythical soldiers were out there. And they knew. They knew about the triangles. They wanted to kill the triangles. Fuck up the starting five and send them packing. The big question... Perry, old boy, the big $20,000 question is, who are these soldiers? This wasn't Hollywood. There were no men in black to save the day with a handsome smile and a witty comment. No X-Files agents crashing through his door to cast plaintive looks his way. No superhero from another planet with a special gun to blast the boogers right out of his body. He didn't know whom to call, where to go, but there had to be somebody out there. Ten decades in a century. A sudden thought froze him. If they could scan his brain, How much longer until they could read his active thoughts? And when that happened, what would they do if they knew he wanted to contact the soldiers? They'd scream so loud his brain would turn to puree, drip right out of his ears and dribble out his nose like snot. Maybe they were listening right now. He had to stop thinking about it. But if he didn't think about it, how was he going to contact anybody? He couldn't even think about killing the triangles. They'd fry him from the inside out first cook his brain like a microwave potato. But he couldn't stop thinking, could he? And if he did stop, if he did tune such thoughts of survival from his brain, then he was surely doomed. Stress steadily built up inside him, gaining steam like a wall of bricks crashing down from an exploding building. The buzzer on the stove loudly announced that the rice was done. His mind grabbed onto this new distraction like a drowning man clinging to a life preserver, gripping it with all he had focusing all his thoughts on the thrilling subject of dinner. Perry didn't realize that it was a temporary escape. He didn't realize that his mind was already beginning to crack and fissure under the stress of the impossible-to-believe situation unfolding around him and inside him. The floodwaters were slowly rising, inevitable, unstoppable, irresistible, and the high ground would only stay above the waterline for so long. You have been listening to Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.